Broadcasting from Melbourne, Victoria. You're listening to the Investor Exchange. Tune in each week and listen to the guys from United Global Capital discuss the topics that matter the most to your finances. Each episode will help you separate the noise from what really matters, giving you timely and actionable information you can use. We'll cover areas related to financial markets, property, politics, personal finance, and the economy. Now, here's your host, Stephanie Sumner. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of the Investor Exchange. I'm your host today, Louis Van Copenhagen, and joining me as always is Joel Hewish. Morning, Louis. Morning, Good listeners. Good morning, Joel. And Brett Dickinson. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be back. Fantastic. Uh, Steph's taking a breather this week um, and will be back with us soon. Uh, gents, what a what a crazy week. There's just so much going on in the world right now and in the country. Um, so. I'd actually forgotten that we came out of lockdown only nine days ago. Yes, I know. And uh, with a bit of luck, uh, uh, the main man, Dan, he's going to be coming out with uh, some more uh, announcements today, uh, perhaps winding back some of the restrictions that are currently in force. So we look forward to that. Maybe get rid of those face masks. That would be a that would be a good start. That'd be really yeah, nice. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I I just forgotten about it. It feels like a month ago, not a week ago. Um, and uh, someone someone told me yesterday, you, no, you can't have those people over to your house. There's still a restriction on. I'm like, what? I thought it was yeah. over. <laughs> I can't keep up. Yeah, I can't keep up either. I know, I know. I think it's five at the moment, but hopefully there's talk that maybe today they're going to wind the restrictions all the way back to the um, COVID normal we were looking at prior to Christmas, prior yeah. to the prior to the um, Black Rock outbreak. Yep. In fact, probably by the time this podcast is finished recording and and actually uh, out to the public, uh, that's that will hopefully have already been announced. So um, let's hope. Uh, yeah, so let's hope. And um, uh, big things happening. I mean, Facebook and and the argy bargy around the the news feed and paying publishers and uh, and and blocking a bunch of content. Yes, I don't know if that was a very good step. What uh, Facebook did, uh, they just you know riled up the government even further and perhaps even proved the case of the government that you know they're they're not so much a uh, platform but more of a curator of news, but. Anyway, it looks like that legislation's gone through. Facebook have uh, wound back and stepped away from that action that they took pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, but I actually haven't followed it in the last few days, Louis. So uh, what's the latest there? Oh, well, the latest is that they're taking a bit of time to actually restore news to people's news feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, that should be coming up today. Is um, is what's the what they've been reporting that they'll restore a lot of pages and uh, and content by. Right. So again, by the time this uh, podcast recording goes out, um, people should be seeing that. Um, so we're, we're talking about some things that are going to be out of date pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, by the looks of it. Yeah, but but I think the um, I, I think it's been a hundred percent negotiation. That's my expectation. It, it was never about um, the the news and the content. It was it was purely a tactic to send some warning shots uh, to the governments and. Um, uh, and, and people who are stakeholders to the government that Facebook wanted to say, look, we've got this power. Um, 
try and survive without us. Go on, do it. And, uh, and, and then at the end of the day, the government's made amendments to their legislation and, uh, and they've got agreement on, on something that's a bit more palatable to go through. Right, okay. So I, the, the legislation doesn't go as far as what it was initially going to go. Um, that's correct. Does it, does it tighten up any of the restriction? Does it tighten up any of the operating conditions of Facebook? Uh, does, it, does it now mean that Facebook has to pay for some content? How, how does it, what's the negotiated position, do we know? Um, well, I don't know the negotiated position. I only know that it's um, less than what it was. And what's being reported is that Facebook is is now doing a lot of negotiating or likely to be doing a lot of negotiating with content providers behind the scenes. Mm. Um, so uh, so I guess Facebook didn't want to pay the, the many millions of dollars that Google um, was uh, was happy to pay. Uh, Facebook was looking for a better deal, so they took this negotiating step first. Yeah, right. So Facebook did. Uh, sorry, Google did actually agree to the to to the uh, content. They uh, Google went ahead and made deals with uh, with News uh, okay. with News Corp and uh, and with um, Nine News, um, the uh, what what used to be Fairfax Media and and right. now in, incorporated into the Nine News. Uh, news conglomerate. Yep. Um, but uh, but uh, Facebook didn't want to play the same ball game. Right. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Facebook probably facing uh, less um, competitive pressure uh, than someone like Google. Uh, and, and you would know this from your um, from your uh, stock analysis, Joel, uh, that where you've got a company uh, with with bigger switching costs to change from one provider to another, um, it has a protective measure. Yes, and as far as Google goes, it's not hard to change from your Google as a search provider to uh, to another search engine. That happens pretty quick and easy. You just type in a different web address and set it as a different default. Mm. Um, so you can stop using the Google search engine any day you wanted to. Mm. But as far as your Facebook feed goes, uh, well, that's full of your friends who are on Facebook. So, if you wanted to replicate the Facebook experience, you would need all of, you would need to jump onto a different uh, social media platform, and all of your friends would need to jump onto that different social media platform as well. Yeah, makes which it very makes that very difficult. So, Facebook has a really nice uh, ring fence around their business model. Yes, Google does as well to some extent through the network effect where, um, you know, mo the, one of the main reasons why Google is so popular is that everybody optimizes the, their websites for Google's algorithms to be found mm -hmm. much easier. So, um, you know, why do everyone, why does everyone uh, optimize their websites and their marketing collateral for Google? Because that's where all the consumers are going. Why did all the consumers go there? Because that's where all the sellers are going. <laughs> so <laughs> it has that network effect. Yep, yep, sure does, sure does. Uh, well, look, why don't we tie that into um, your update, Joel, um, seeing we're talking about uh, specific companies? Sure. Well, look, I, I, I thought it uh, it's probably worthwhile just touching on some positive news that seems to be happening around the world in relation to coronavirus. What? What was that? Positive news? Yes. Positive news. Positive news. You got me started. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, look, 
I don't know, and it's I'm a little bit surprised because um, when coronavirus cases were spiking to all-time highs back in December, uh, it seemed to be you know across every media news outlet that uh, you know coronavirus was hitting record daily cases and record daily deaths. But this time around, six weeks after the uh, well, six seven weeks into the into the new year. In fact, we're almost eight weeks into the new year. What hasn't been reported, I don't think, to anywhere near the same extent, is the fact that coronavirus cases across the globe are collapsing now. Um, now, if we have a look at the United States, their daily average, uh, their daily case rates got to as high as around 250,000 in a day. Uh, in fact, peaked around the 7th of January of this year. Since then, daily active cases have now fallen down to about 65,000 new daily active cases. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's around about a 75% decline in daily cases reported in the US, that new daily cases reported in the US. But it's not just that. Daily deaths are falling off a cliff. Hospitalizations are falling off a cliff. We've got hospitalizations are now at 56,000, where they peaked at around about 130,000, um, you know, only only seven weeks ago. Um, so what, what's driving the, the trend, Joel? Is it the is it the uh, vaccinations? Is it the measures in place? Do we know it, what's, it, what's assisting? Look, it, it looks like it's a combination of uh, some herd immunity. Uh, remember, the yeah. United States had a hell of a lot of cases, so it looks like there's a combination of herd immunity. And remember, the number of tests that are actually done each day do not actually pick up every case. In fact, they estimate that, that the, the number of tests only pick up about 10% of the actual cases in, in society at any one point in time. So, you know, you multiply the daily active cases, the new daily cases by, you know, 10, and all of a sudden you're looking at two and a half million people who are getting the, the virus in some form or other that may be even asymptomatic. But, mm. you know, it doesn't take too long for 300 million odd people to, you know, to, to actually start to have some form of uh, immunity that's building up. But certainly the, certainly the coronavirus vaccine rollout has uh, been underway now in the US and in many parts of Europe for probably the best part of a couple of months now. So with herd immunity running through Europe and the UK and, uh, well, uh, you know, and, and then the, the, and the United States and also the rollout of the vaccine program, we're seeing um, across the globe uh, cases of new coronavirus cases are falling uh, quite dramatically. Uh, on the 7th of January, sorry, on the 8th of January, daily new cases were reported at 845,000 um, this year. To, uh, as of uh, yesterday, they were down at uh, 443,000. So that's almost a halving across the globe. But if you have a look at the at the major uh, re economic regions of Europe, UK, and the United States, those uh, those cases are you know well below even uh, even halving at this point in time. So positive signs, positive news. I think you know it, it's perhaps um, perhaps the start of the end, uh, and uh, with a bit of luck over the course of the next, you know, six to nine months or so, we, we start to really get back to some sense of normality. Now, the interesting thing is, as an investor, okay, well, now it's time to start turning your attention to where are the opportunities that are going to present as, as it appears as though we're, we're seeing the back part of this uh, pandemic. 
And, uh, you know, we, the, the obvious place to start looking is, you know, where are the businesses that were the most affected and what are those businesses currently doing at the moment and do they have some legitimate chance of turnaround moving forward? And uh, interestingly, our team has discovered that um, there seems to be a lot of activity taking place in the last week or so in travel-related businesses. So uh, we can see that uh, the share prices for businesses like uh, Bookings.com and um, TripAdvisor, their share prices are, are now you know, recovering quite strongly and, and, uh, and have been up quite a fair bit in the last uh, week, week and a half to two weeks. We're even seeing our stocks listed on the Australian stock market being Flight Centre and Webjet and uh, Corporate Travel and Hello Hello World. Uh, these businesses are all starting to, uh, their share prices are starting to look a lot more favourable as well and, uh, and, and are starting to head into new uptrends. Um, and we're also seeing the price of crude oil, uh, which at one stage actually dipped into negative prices during the worst of the uh, coronavirus lockdown. Uh, those um, uh, the, uh, the crude oil prices have gone from a negative price uh, in in, Mar in April of 2020 to now uh, at $63 a barrel. So uh, in, in the United States, so we can clearly see that there's a theme that's happening here, and uh, and not just that. In fact, if we even have a look at uh, just air passenger traffic, uh, the number of scheduled passengers. Um, that were uh, to board a, a global airline um, in 2000 and, uh, 2019, pre-pandemic, there was 4.7 4 million, sorry, uh, it looks like 4.7 billion passengers that were booked in to uh, take an airline trip in 2019. That fell down to 1.79 billion in 2020. So, that's almost uh, two thirds of the passenger traffic had uh, fallen off a cliff during uh, 2020. That's now creeping up to 2.8 billion that of uh, passengers that are, have have booked an air flight travel so far in 2021, and we're only two months into this. So um, that's that's a forecast that's come out of uh, Statista. Um, but uh, clearly the recovery is underway and we can see that across many, many parts of the economic uh, spectrum as well. We can see the GDP rates are, are growing. In fact, there's talk that the US could actually hit a 6% GDP growth rate over the next 12 months, um, uh, which would be a, an, an astounding level of annualised growth in GDP for the world's largest economy. Um, uh, and we're starting to see uh, inflation expectations increase as well with the US 10-year Treasury bond yield starting to increase. Um, and in fact, that US 10-year Treasury bond yield has probably sent a little bit of a uh, scare through the markets in the last week and a half because we are that that correction that we'd been that I'd been talking about for about five weeks um, has now appears to be happening. We're, we're seeing the Nasdaq down about seven and a half percent from its peak about a week and a half ago. and uh, um, you know, we're starting to see a bit of a, a correction taking place here in some of the more frothier stocks that have uh, that have gone for a real run in the last 12 months or so. So, um, you know, just a, there's a changing dynamic that's happening. And I think investors are starting to navigate and realise that we're at the back end of this pandemic and that uh, opportunities to find great businesses that have been hit hard by this pandemic could lead to some significant profits. So we're certainly digging deep. Um, 
we're looking for the best best opportunities that we can find in this space, and uh, we're, we're quite excited about some of the some of the the gems that we're we're uncovering. We're still not yet there where we're recommending uh, any of these businesses to our clients, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised if we add one or two of these ideas to our portfolios in the next few weeks. Yeah, fantastic. Wow. Thanks, John. Yeah. Um, uh, it seems like some uh, some cyclical stocks are uh, are coming up as well and and going through recoveries and and there's some uh, some stocks linked to commodity prices and and iron ore miners in particular where the iron ore price has really rocketed ahead as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that's coming through in 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 those as well. Yep, very much so. Yep. So so do you see um th- those stocks that have really been lagging? Uh, over the last 12 months, do, do you see a pretty broad-based recovery and do you, do you think all stocks are coming up to some kind of parity or do you still see a big difference uh, between companies that can really thrive in these conditions and these companies are, are really paying, playing catch-up but they're still left behind a bit? Uh, look, I, I think that what we're going to probably see moving forward. So anytime we go through a recovery coming out of a severe recession and a, and a severe uh, financial market downturn, investors tend to focus their attention on what is perceived to be the safest, um, safest, financially strong, uh, most economically resilient business models for that time. And we saw that clearly with the um, huge rotation into work from home businesses, businesses that had software subscription business models, businesses that uh, you know, had capital light, um, but strong recurring revenue streams. Uh, and, and that's where you wanted to be in the last 12 months. Now, I think what's likely to happen is that um, I think that the vast majority of stocks will probably go up over the next 12 months. I mean, we're in that now, we're in that fattening out phase. And in fact, in the, in the most recent update that we sent out to clients in our monthly update uh, last week, we made note of the fact that uh, the S&P 500 was actually down for the month by about 1.4% in January. Uh, the, the NASDAQ was up about 1.4% for the month. The Dow was, was practically uh, you know, flat to, to down. And our ASX 200 was, was basically flat at 0.3% increase during January. But the biggest mover during January was the Russell 2000 index, which is the mid cap stocks um, in the United States. And they're more domestically focused businesses. Uh, They tend to be more regional banks, uh, retail businesses focused on domestic consumers, um, much more US domiciled, much more US centric type businesses. And, uh, and and that was the market that that was the segment of the market that really put a, a big increase in up around about five and a half percent for the month. So in that environment, what that's saying is that investors are now moving out of the the, the bigger, safer, or perceived to be more safer businesses in and now are starting to rotate into and up the risk spectrum a little bit. So there is confidence that um, some of those laggards, like you say, are now catching a bid. And uh, and the broadening in the stock participation is starting to come through, and that's a very healthy sign for stocks over a medium to medium term perspective. You know, looking out ahead six to twelve months, that type of rotation 
uh, is actually very, very healthy for, for share markets. So mm. I'm encouraged. And I think that what we'll probably find is that, uh, you know, a number of those businesses that if it wasn't for a pandemic that would normally have resilient business models, but for the fact that, you know, that they were forced to shut down, uh, I think that there's going to be some some really good opportunities to, 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 you know, find some of those laggards that could actually do play some catch up here. Yeah, fascinating. All right. You yeah. see, you got to you got to make a distinction between what we went through in the last 12 months versus what typically happens during a recessionary period. Many many businesses that um, that that would typically hold up quite well and be considered defensive stocks during a normal recession, you know, got hammered just pure and simply because of decree by government. Now, in a normal economic downturn, those businesses would would tend to be actually quite resilient and uh, and stable, and they would tend to be safe places to house your money during a downturn. But because of this decree of governments to to shut down parts of their economy, and in many instances, large parts of their economy, uh, what used to be perceived as a safe haven investment um, ne- wasn't necessarily like, for instance, restaurants, you know, uh, fast fast uh, casual dining places. These places tend to be actually tend to perform quite well. Gambling tends to perform quite well. Uh, but, you know, you had casinos shut down. You had uh, betting companies all shut down. Um, uh, you know, uh, ca- casual dining restaurants, like I said, they tend to actually be uh, cheap casual dining restaurants tend to actually be quite favorable during that during those periods of time. Um, and uh, in many instances, they weren't. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, very Adele, interesting. I saw just briefly this morning that the exchange rates just tipped over 80 cents, I believe we're at, with the US. Does much of that come into play when you're looking at this? Uh, in terms of uh, travel? Uh, well, just the travel and the, the types of, like, what, what causes the exchange rate with the Australian and the US dollar to fluctuate? Okay. Well, clear, clearly, once again, this is this is supporting evidence of a of a um, cyclical upturn in the global economy. So, the Aussie dollar is very much tied into uh, economic growth uh, of the global economy. And when when the global economy is starting to perform quite well, there tends to be more confidence for projects to to get off the ground. So, infrastructure, residential projects tend to catch favour in a in a cyclical upturn. And that tends to be good for banks. It tends to be good for uh, resource companies as banks finance a lot of these cyclical projects and uh, and resource companies supply the raw materials that go into large construction, housing and, uh, you know, infrastructure projects. So, um, so in in that environment, um, we uh, we tend to see a lot of international investors move their money into our banks, our resource companies like BHP and Rio Tinto. And, uh, and and obviously there's a flow on effect to that as well, where, um, you know, as, as more and more people in those industries are making more and more money, that tends to be beneficial for retail and, uh, and the consumer. So we tend to find money flows into our economy and into our domestic markets as a result of that. And, uh, and that pushes upward pressure on the Aussie dollar. So, you know, in a, in a strong economic period where the global economy looks to be recovering, you would expect the Aussie dollar to perform well. 
And in a weak economic period, like we saw during the worst of the coronavirus, you'd expect the Aussie dollar to perform very poorly. And, and I think that that just goes to uh, that the a strong Aussie dollar really just goes to support that whole notion that we're well and truly in recovery mode here. And uh, if you're worried about a second wave or a, or a third wave, I should say, uh, of this coronavirus, um, I think it uh, I think you could be, uh, you know, sitting on some on cash for way too long. I think that the probably the best part of uh, of, of the gains, uh, if we haven't already seen them, still is there should be some pretty good gains ahead of us. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Joel. Really interesting update there. Uh, we will take a break and we'll be back shortly. Want to learn the strategies that have achieved returns more than double the return of the average superannuation fund? Each day, clients of United Global Capital are using strategies and tactics that were once thought the domain of the professional investor or the super rich. Book your seat at UGC's Financial Fast Track Seminars, where you'll learn the science behind selecting high-performance stocks and real estate, how you can participate in advanced strategies like property development, short selling, and international investments, as well as how to protect your wealth against major adverse market events. To secure your seat, simply go to ugc.net.au slash events and select the seminar that suits your needs. Seats are limited, so book your spot now. And welcome back. Uh, Joel, I just wanted to mention on the on the vaccination program, there's a really interesting test case, which is an entire country, the whole country of Israel, uh, yeah. with a population of about 9 million people, um, was uh, was a small enough country to um, to be a test case for a, a, a mass scale vaccination program, yeah. Um, but uh, but advanced enough that they have a lot of uh, they have a really robust healthcare system uh, with a lot of um, reporting abilities. Um, so Israel is the first company that's progressing towards full vaccination um, right. as it stands right now. Um, just in the last few days, they've ticked over more than 50% of their population receiving the first dose of a vaccination. Right, okay. Uh, and they've just ticked over 35% of their population receiving uh, the second dose of the vaccination. So so those people being uh, classed as fully vaccinated. Right, okay. Um, but a lot of the, the peaks in their uh, infection rates and hospitalisation rates came in mid-January uh, and um, a, and then maybe a week or two after that reflected in reducing death rates and such. Yeah. Uh, and in mid-January, their, um, their, their rate of people who was fully vaccinated uh, was only around 3% and the number of people who uh, had received one dose uh, was around sort of 30%, that 25 to 30% range. So if if you look at that data, I'm, I'm sure there's other things that are going on with their own settings for, for lockdowns and restrictions. But if you just look at the vaccination variable, it tells you that when you get to about a quarter of your population to a third of your population having received one dose, not even the second dose to be fully vaccinated, yep. you start getting this effect where your infection rates are, are reducing. Um, they, they had some pretty high infection rates uh, and, uh, and now that they're uh, progressing towards uh, more than 50% fully vaccinated and a third, uh, sorry, 50% partly vaccinated and a third fully vaccinated, um, they've had more than a halving 
in their infection rates and uh, and hospitalisation rates. So it's really encouraging. Yeah. And Louis, you're absolutely right. In fact, I probably was remiss of uh, forgetting this point as well. Like, it's not just the fact that you've got herd immunity and the vaccine rolling out. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? We're, we're the best case for it in Melbourne. Uh, lockdowns do work in killing the virus. Uh, you know, it, it does work. I mean, mm. aside from the economic impacts of shutting down your economies, you know, social distancing works, right? Um, uh, yep. So, you know, and many of many of these European and, and uh, even American, um, you know, jurisdictions, they were going into lockdown during parts of Christmas time. Mm. So uh, it's a combination of all of those three, I think, you know, lockdowns, uh, restrictions, um, uh, case rates that have, you know, got, uh, you know, sufficiently through the, the, the economy, sorry, not the economy, through society. And, uh, and now a rollout of the vaccines. And I think all of those things are contributing to seeing a very sharp decline in uh, in daily case rates. Mm, mm, that's right, yep. Well, look, let's move on and um, uh, let's go to our next topic from Brett. Sure. Guys, I wanted to put the spotlight for, for property today on Brisbane and southeast Queensland. Uh, it's an okay. area that We've been pretty bullish on for, gee, Joel, I think it's probably five years when we, we first started talking about the Brisbane property market and, and getting clients invested up there. And, and obviously, we yeah. did our own project up there in 2017-18. So yes. we've liked that region for quite some time. Yes. Uh, and some new news that's come out this week, I think, can only... Uh, make it a more attractive region with it being the the basically the pick of the Olympic Committee for the 2032 Olympic Games. I know. How about that, hey? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I think last year we, we did touch briefly in, in the property markets about um, how major events can impact property prices. Uh, so I can't recall exactly what was discussed, but I know we touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that the announcement made this week is, is basically that it's Brisbane's to lose if, if they just don't provide all the relevant information, as in the IOC have, have basically committed to Brisbane subject to, to the next round of paperwork meeting all of the necessary criteria. Yep. So sounds like a foregone conclusion. Um, uh, and so what the, the news is stating is that the, the Queensland officials are finalising their plans for the $4.5 billion Olympic Games. Uh, and they've got the hunt for, for stadiums, venues and, and infrastructure funding. So there's a blueprint now that allows the Olympic Games to be held by a region, not just a city anymore, as they look to, to try and neutralise the cost of hosting the Games. Mm. Uh, so that would mean that it wouldn't just be Brisbane. It, it could actually stretch all the way down to the Gold Coast and even the Sunshine Coast for, for a lot of the events. What a fantastic, what a fantastic area to have and, and to show off Australia, honestly. I think that some of, some of Australia's best coastal regions and yeah. uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's a huge boost um, for that area that we, we, we have said for so long has so much potential, but for whatever reason, Sydney and Melbourneites just tend to overlook Brisbane and uh, many parts of southeast Queensland as legitimate business uh, jurisdictions as well as, um, yeah, lifestyle and uh, family jurisdictions yeah. to play well, around in. John, 
I think the the view that we've had about Brisbane closing the gap on on Melbourne and Sydney might be accelerated uh, in the light of obviously this sort of scenario, but also the what's happened with COVID and people heading for better lifestyles and and working remotely, looking for better yeah. climate. So yeah. I think it might accelerate the closing of that gap. You know, whether it ever closes is yet to be seen, but. The gap was so wide, we couldn't see a reason for it to be so wide and, and believe it's going to going to close over time. I've got right. some data that explains where the gap is. Yeah. Um, but one other thing that I think really supports Brisbane as a as a great place to be to be looking for property investment over the the next ten years, they the Brisbane City Council also released a, a vision a, a couple of years ago called our New World City. Uh, and coincidentally, with the Olympics being in 2031, their vision a few years ago was that by 2031, they were going to develop strong partnerships uh, with government, business and education institutions uh, to grow Brisbane into what would be deemed a, a world city. Uh, so Brisbane and Melbourne are already deemed world cities, but uh, sorry, Sydney and Melbourne. Brisbane isn't quite there yet. So they've got some targets that they put in place was uh, was the main one being that it will be ranked in the top 20 of world cities on independent global city ranking indices by mm. 2031. Mm. So with that vision, now with the, the Commonwealth Games coming, with obviously what everyone knows about Southeast Queensland having a great climate and great lifestyle with its access to endless beaches, I think the pricing of uh, of residential property in southeast Queensland is going to start to gain ground on where it is now compared to to Melbourne and Sydney. So to explain where the difference is, and this is, I think, still quite dramatic, the median house price in Brisbane is currently at 520000 Yeah, right. Now, that sounds ridiculously cheap when you think that the median in Sydney is 850000 Yeah. And in Melbourne, it's at 700000 So it's you know, the gap between those other two cities. So it's it's basically a 60% discount on Sydney uh, yeah. and about a 35% discount on Melbourne. Yep. Uh, and look, the other data I didn't have to, uh, time to find quickly enough today, but we knew it was a few years ago when we last looked at it, was that uh, the average income in Brisbane was, was comparable with Melbourne and Sydney. It, it certainly wasn't more than, you know, 2 or 3% different. So that meant that affordability in Brisbane was significantly greater, you know, with a right. lower house price, but an average wage being comparable, the affordability of housing was always going to be lower. Yeah. So that being the case, we I can't see how Brisbane and, and property in southeast Queensland couldn't outperform Melbourne and Sydney for the next five to 10 years and, and start to close that gap. I, I agree with you, Brett. Uh, I, you know, we've seen even in the last five years, the transformation or five or six years, the transformation that we've seen in, in Brisbane, uh, they've got, uh, you know, they're really stepping things up. Even the quality of their restaurants, their cafes, the entertainment precincts that they've got, um, you know, it's catching a lot of people by surprise. I, I had uh, over Christmas time, we, I had and this was prior to the lockdowns in Brisbane, but I had my brother and my sister-in-law uh, up at uh, Queensland uh, catching up with my parents, and I said to them, "Come up to Brisbane. We'll stay at the at the Carlisle in uh, in Fortitude yeah, Valley, great and place. Yeah. yeah, great place. And uh, they they're like Brisbane, really? Like you know, Bris Vegas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure, let's get to yeah. Bris Vegas. Yeah, that sounds really exciting." And uh, and they and they couldn't believe it to be honest with you they were they were quite 
shocked. And, and honestly, Brisbane was was still very, very quiet because of the, the COVID shutdowns, but they couldn't believe what was actually, you know, in Brisbane and, and that Fortitude Valley area and around New Farm and and uh, and then obviously, you know, down along the, the river walk uh, down down near the new um, uh, what is it, the new King's oh. King uh, I can't remember what the name of it's called now. King's King's Kingford Smith Wharf, I think it is. Something like that. Anyway, the new casino. All that there. There's a yeah. huge new casino going in. I think I think actually that casino is Australia's only six star uh, casino um, when, when it'll be completed. That's the new star casino that's going yeah. in. So, yeah, they uh, they were quite surprised. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of Melbournians and Sydney-siders that have probably skipped over Brisbane, not realising what's actually going on there because most of their experiences with Queensland have been to head up to the Sunshine Coast or far north Queensland up to Port Douglas or down to the Gold Coast. And Brisbane sort of gets forgotten about in some respects, but uh, it's certainly certainly coming along. Something which their government's been doing for a while is trying to encourage uh, companies to set up their head offices in uh, in southeast Queensland uh, with incentives like payroll tax deductions and and things like that. Uh, so um, that that might be a bit of a missing piece of the puzzle for um, uh, Melbournians and Sydney siders to to take Brisbane a bit more seriously. If if you actually mm. see a few more um, uh, national uh, offices being uh, being headed from Brisbane or southeast Queensland, mm. I also think that when we get back to some level of uh, of international travel and and we can open the borders to migration i actually think brisbane will become more attractive to a lot of the the asian communities that were focusing on melbourne and sydney it's it's a little bit closer from a flying time um and with the olympics on the horizon and everything else i think they'll start to look more towards brisbane especially for affordability and pricing for when yep. they migrate rather than melbourne and sydney yep plus so, that's closer to steve Irwin's australia zoo yeah <laughs> all of the gimmicky <laughs> stuff they love <laughs> Well, look, the last thing I'll touch on, guys, is, Joel, as you said, a lot of people have looked over it, but I think a lot of people are starting to uh, to actually pay attention because yeah. during the September quarter, it had uh, Brisbane had positive net migration of 3,200 people. Uh, right. So that, that was interstate migration. Uh, and Queensland had uh, 22,000 people migrate to Queensland through that quarter and only 15,000 leave. So net positive migration of over 7,000 for that quarter. Right. Wow. That's a lot uh, for a short period of time. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Obviously, yeah. that's, you know, probably in the height of COVID then. Um, but I think the trend is only upwards and, and will be for some time. Mm. Yeah. Great. Fascinating. Thank you, Brett. Uh, really good to, to talk through that. Uh, let's take another break and we'll be back shortly. Are you concerned about your finances? Maybe you're not sure if you'll have enough money to retire on. Or maybe you've received a redundancy, inheritance, or even a significant promotion or perhaps a life-changing medical diagnosis. Regardless of your concern or financial position, United Global Capital's advisors are experts in the areas of strategic financial planning, taxation, superannuation and self-managed superannuation funds, risk management, estate planning and investments. Don't let fate dictate your financial future. Take control today and contact United Global Capital for a no-cost, no-obligation financial strategy consultation. Simply call 03-8657-7640 or email info at ugc.net.au 
and book your appointment today. And hello again. Um, gents, I was going to uh, touch on a bit of retirement information. And I'll never forget going to a, a, a presentation where Jeff Kennett was, uh, was one of the speakers. And, and he said at the time, he said, retirement equals death. Because <laughs> uh, from his point of view and his experience, he has seen many people have wonderful working lives. And then from the time that they go into a, a, a full retirement, within two years or so, he's seen lots of people just be dead. And so yep. I started looking around. Well, what's the what's the mortality rate after retirement? And, uh, and and I've come across a few things. There's uh, uh, there's something which is which was sent to me separately uh, by by someone who is looking at the cognitive decline that's associated with uh, with retirement. Uh, basically, people's brains stop getting used in the same way, and your brain is is really driven by this use it or lose it concept. And if you're not in the work environment anymore and you're not using all these uh, these important parts of your brain, well, they just start to atrophy and leads to these things like uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, uh, which uh, which a lot of uh, research is in its infancy, um, but starting to get a, a more of a volume behind it. But the one research report I really want to focus on today is is the mortality effects um, and there's a there's a set of data which has come out of the U.S. Uh, in uh, in a particular state of the U.S. where their retirement age is actually 62, uh, from which time a person can go on to social security benefits. And what they see is that there is a clear spike in mortality rates at that retirement age. Wow! Right? Really? Yeah. yeah. So this data is um, is going back over a span of um, of 40 years. So 1979 to 2012 is is their set of data that they're looking at these mortality rates. Um, and what's interesting is that um, prior to those years, um, the retirement age was a different age. It was um, it, it was a retirement age of 65. And for that set of data, there was no spike. In the mortality rates um, at the age of 62. Yeah, okay, so there's direct correlation. So you've got a bit of a correlation causation link there that when the, the when, when there's social security benefits payable at a certain age, which that uh, which triggers people to retire at that age, you've got an increase in death rates. Louis, I remember something, uh, and I, I don't know the data uh, or where it came from, but it was quite a few years ago, and they they mentioned this exact fact that the the two biggest causes of death, um, you know, when they studied it, outside of you know the the major diseases and other things, were a, a lack of purpose, so people losing their job or not having a, a reason to to get out of bed, and mm -hmm. the lock of a life, the loss of a life partner. Yeah. So they found that people die very quickly after they lose their life partner or after they lose their will to, you know, their purpose, whether it's work or some charity or whatever it is. If they don't have either of those, yeah, mm -hmm. as you're probably alluding to, there's there's not much driving them to continue. 
Well, Brett, let me let me pursue that line of thinking further, because because um, I think that what what you've heard that from is is linking with some of the things that I've read uh, as well. Um, and uh, um, purpose is one of those major things. Um, so if your if your life is without purpose, then we do see these increasing rates of uh, cognitive decline, lower brain function and and death as well. Mm. Um, in this study that I'm referencing, um, when they drilled into the data for who is actually dying more often, they actually find it's uh, it's a much more um, uh, much higher incidence with men and not mm. so much women, and it's particularly um, men who are without partners, and, ah. and 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 their indicator is men without college degrees, right which you can take to also mean perhaps a, a lower socioeconomic status or um, uh, lower levels of, of education. Um, uh, so if it's if it's more prevalent in those sets of data, well, then that also ties in with this thinking of, well, people who don't have a purpose. Yeah. Um, so uh, believe it or not, fellas, um, the, the the wives are pretty important to us actually living <laughs> a long life. <laughs> yeah. Steph, uh, Steph might catch up on the on the recording of this later on. Just don't uh, let them know, Louie. <laughs> keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but but that whole um, the the concept of having a life purpose is is really important, and uh, and and you know anyone with a partner would would have to agree that if you've got a partner in your life, well then you've got a you've you've got a purpose in your life um, every day, um, even if that purpose is someone to annoy and uh, cause problems for, is, which is what I tend to do more often than not for my yeah, wife. Long like suffering. <laughs> Um, but uh, but some of the advice uh, that I've come across is um, well, it's along the lines of figure out your life purpose, and and I don't think it's really applicable just to retirement. I think it's more uh, more pronounced in retirement. If if you go into a period of time where you're out of the workforce and you've now got these hours of the day that are free time. Um, if you don't find some purpose, if you don't know the meaning of your own life, uh, well, then it's going to impact you um, and, um, and and your health, uh, your energy levels, your um, your brain function, and ultimately um, uh, ultimately uh, passing away sooner than you otherwise would. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the other one being indicators uh, indicators of um, uh, education, which maybe means. Uh, social status, which which could be socioeconomic, uh, so a level of wealth might be an indicator as well. Um, so um, if if you can, if listeners can just figure out the meaning of life and be rich, <laughs> then you're gonna be better off. If you can just do those two things, Easy. it's not that go. hard. God. It's not that hard. Come on, just do it. Just do it. And uh, yeah, that's what I that's what I wanted to mention today. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a phase of life where I don't retire, but just have a little bit more freedom about how I spend my time. I, I don't, I'm not going to give up on what I'm doing. I, I enjoy it, but yeah, every now and then I'd like to be able to do just a few other things on top of it. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah. 
Uh, now, guys, uh, before we go into our last segment, um, I want to um, uh, I've got a bit of a, a, a dirty little secret, and this is a, a, a oh, working from this is out. a this is a working from home secret, and, and I don't know if um, if you guys have your own, but um, does it include wearing pants? Oh, that's that's one of the things, but um, I'm, I'm going to confess to having this thing. A massager. This is a this is a piece of wire in the shape of a question mark, and it's not so much a piece of wire as a bar of steel with mm. this this wooden knob on the end. And I've been hiding it for far too long. I keep this. Uh, on my desk and around my desk all the time, and it's excellent for getting onto my back. <laughs> and I've yes. been keeping it off camera for too long, and I'm not going to be ashamed anymore. Louis, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hysteria. No, I haven't. It's 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 about a, a GP in the UK who used to treat women for, you know, post postnatal depression and. Uh, um, a, a condition they used to call hysteria, and it used to be treated through the manipulation of one female's certain private parts <laughs> by a GP. And, and that contraption there looks very similar to many of the contraptions that were in the movie. <laughs> what else have you got in your collection, Louis? <laughs> well, you're going to be seeing more of this, baby, because I am proud of this device. And... Uh, if I'm using it off camera, but you can still see my face, it it looks a little bit sus. Yeah, all right. So being forewarned then. So I'm just gonna make yeah. it public. That's yeah. that's what it is. That's what it is. Anyway. Very, very good. Uh, all right. Uh, our final segment, as always, is you can't be serious. Yes. All right. Well, gentlemen, I'll be share with me your best. Go I'll on, Joel. I'll kick it off, Louis. I'm uh, quite interested and intrigued in this one. Uh, in a city called Camogli, in uh, on the coast of uh, Genoa in Italy, there has been some 200 coffins that have fallen into a bay off the coast of uh, Genoa, off that uh, off that city called Camogli. Uh, these uh, these coffins were buried in a in a cemetery. And uh, apparently the uh, the cemetery has given way and fallen into the ocean. Uh, locals have now renamed the bay Coffin Bay. And uh, although the oysters tend to look a little bit more like eyeballs than what you'd typically tend to, to oh. find. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's awful. Oh, <laughs> well, let's, let, let's keep the theme around the bay and water. So... Uh, a Virginian man uh, in in the US has actually broken the Guinness uh, World Record for how long you can swim with handcuffs on. So, I don't know why he'd attempt it, but anyway, he did. And he managed to swim a total of 5.35 miles in handcuffs. Right. So, I did some quick research and found that... Uh, the distance from Alcatraz uh, back into San Francisco is only 1.5 miles. So yeah. <laughs> maybe they did make it after all. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. Oh, far out. Oh, that's crazy. Very good. Uh, gents, we all know that uh, lockdown is tough. Uh, in West Sussex, 
um, there was a man who uh, was a criminal and he was wanted by police, but he had not been caught and uh, and he was uh, going about his life in, in a little bit of secret. Uh, and the UK has obviously been in, in a big lockdown for a, a long time now. Um, he actually decided that uh, rather than staying in lockdown with his family for a day longer, he handed himself into police <laughs> in oh, order no. to be arrested and go to jail and have some peace and quiet. Uh, uh, I can well, 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 there you go, eh? So there you go. Uh, this has been fun, guys. I'll look forward to do it again in, doing it again next week.